Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy. Crime. LGBT Thriller. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino is uh, taking a break from baseball. <laughs> we're, back to, we're back to the baseball thing. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. it's either that or knife fighting, whatever. Yeah. You, know. you get banned from oh. that yet? Uh, well, from not from TikTok, no. No? Just once. Just stay, yeah. Well, I mean, so I'm just doing dangerous nice... acts. Yeah, well. I just, I'm going to report you to Facebook to see. So you know. I'm going to do that right now. Get you, <laughs> get you taken Such down. a troublemaker, Al. I am a troublemaker. Now, speaking of troublemakers, um, the guy on his first episode as co-host, Al, from, from Guest, uh, we've got Mr. Uh, Joe CIA Goldberg. I'm here. See, I dressed he... up nice for you, so you've been a podcast. <laughs> you dressed up nice. But, yeah. you know, he's not got any cameras going on. So, you know. What's this world coming to? I know. Yeah. Things are falling apart. Um, well, that's my well, pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to doing this. Yeah. I know, conversations. Yeah. You you are in this business, so you know it. Sorry. Yeah. Sort of. Sort of. Shh. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now we've got a special guest today. Um, so we'll just bring him in. So, Mr. Brian Freeman, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. If we're talking about dangerous acts, hey, I'm there. Well, <laughs> you shouldn't talk about your wife. Come on. <laughs> oh, boy. What a way to start a show. Boom, boom, boom. Oh. Yeah. So you got the new um, new book, uh, Born Sacrifice. And the first thing I can say is um, um, what brought you or led you into doing books 
that have already sort of been out like you know what i mean like this this born has been around so what made you go this direction yeah it was uh, sort of an interesting uh, change of pace because i had uh, at that point about 20 books out under my own name and really very different kinds of books than you find in the Jason Bourne series. I mean, the Bourne books are very action-oriented, very adrenaline-focused, and my books, my own novels, tend to be more psychological thrillers, uh, sort of thrillers with an emotional core to them. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I found out that uh, that, that Putnam was, was going out looking for uh, a new thriller writer to take over uh, the Bourne franchise. This was probably about uh, three, three and a half years ago. And uh, my agent asked if I was interested in tossing my hat into the ring. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been a Ludlum fan my whole life. Uh, the Bourne identity was... Uh, one of the uh, one of the my earliest faves as a as a thriller writer I can or as a thriller reader I could imagine uh, this was back in 1980 I think it was all of 17 years old that I first read uh, the Born Identity and uh, and so uh, I said yeah let's let's go after it and um, I, honestly I was a, a little surprised when they when they picked me only because my own books are are very very different but I think that. Jason Bourne as a hero uh, actually fits with the kinds of stories and uh, that I tell and the characters I create because he's a very complex psychological hero. He's not sort of this Jack Reacher style superhero. I mean, he's fractured, he's lost his memory, and uh, he's he's struggling with sort of this existential crisis of who he really is as a man. And uh, and so for me, that kind of was right in my wheelhouse. Um, but, you know, it was, it was intimidating thinking about sort of stepping into the shoes of a giant like uh, Ludlum and, and this sort of iconic hero like Bourne, uh, particularly when, you know, dealing with characters that I hadn't actually created. Uh, but uh, then I thought about it and thought, well, actually, I've, I've known Jason Bourne uh, uh, a lot longer than I've actually known any of my own characters. I'd, I'd known Bourne for more than 40 years. So uh, uh, kind of once I got over that hill, uh, it, it felt kind of natural to sort of step into Bourne's world and, you know, bring him into a whole new environment. Uh, so I, I was trying to be very authentic to Ludlum's character, but to drop him down into, you know, a, a modern setting, all new plots, all new characters, kind of like a, a reboot of the entire series. Well, is, is there a born Bible that, uh, so to speak, that you have to follow, um, you know, and, and how much freedom do you have to, uh, to, to, to take this character into these new directions? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question, and that was really one of the questions I had in, in talking with, uh, with the Putnam folks about this. I mean, how much freedom would I have to, to kind of strike out in new directions? And uh, I, I give them a lot of credit and the estate a lot of credit that they have really given me a free hand uh, to sort of you know, put my own stamp on Jason Bourne. Uh, I know when I turned in my first Bourne book, The Bourne Evolution, uh, one of the things I felt best about was that uh, uh, Putnam ran the manuscript by the estate, and uh, they, they came back a few weeks later and said, you know, we don't want to change a word. We love it exactly as it is. So uh, that, that made me feel really good. And, and they've been very supportive with my decisions uh, along the way. Um, because, honestly, it, that, was, that was probably the hardest part for me um, is – uh, the, the first book, The Born Evolution, kind of felt like an homage to Ludlam and, and The Born Identity. And, and then when I was starting the second novel, which was The Born Treachery, um, it was harder for me. It, it felt like a harder book to write. Uh, and I realized that I kind of needed to give myself permission uh, to make Born my own character and to really let him begin to change and evolve based on the things that were happening to him 
in my books. And um, so once I once I did that, and once I sort of realized that, well, at this point, Ludlum and I sort of share ownership of this character, then things sort of flowed more readily because I, I realized I could actually, you know, take Bourne and and move him in uh, new directions based on uh, everything that was happening in my books. Right. The question I have is, a lot of your books, you have really good place, time, space. How did you feel doing that, immersing yourselves in the Ludlum world of place, time? So you're kind of attracting the senses of the readers and bringing them into your books. Yeah, that that's that's uh, that's a good question because uh, you know Ludlum really had such an you know international focus, really in all of his books, but certainly uh, in the Bourne books in particular. And uh, I've always felt that. Uh, the, the sense of place really enriches the drama of a thriller. So I'm always focused, whether it's, it's my books or the Bourne books, on giving readers sort of a you-are-there feel, like you've been dropped down into every scene and you can hear it and touch it and taste it and smell it and feel it uh, happening all around you. And, uh, um, you know, usually what I try to do is, is uh, you know, take all of the scenes and, and put them in places that, that I know pretty well. And I go out and scout locations uh, for the books sort of the way a film director would. Um, but that's been a little trickier with, um, with, with my recent books and, and with the Bourne books, uh, partly with Bourne because uh, it, it sort of involves going all over the world. And uh, uh, more specifically, because for the last, you know, two or three years, uh, nobody had been going anywhere. Uh, so, uh, uh, so I just, I, I had to simply do a lot more site research and, uh, and, and, try to familiarize myself with locations, you know, with, with, with research as opposed to being able to actually go out and be there myself. Um, you know, it's not my preferred way of doing it, but I think it's actually worked pretty well. And in most cases, what I, I do is, is look for locations that at least I have visited in the past. So I already have kind of a, a sense of what that place feels like, and then I can sort of fill in the gaps around that. So you really kind of um, write your location like you would write a character. Yeah, very much so. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that the, the setting has to be as much of a character in, in the book as, as the people, because that, that just, that really immerses the reader in what's going on. It, it's got to be more than just the, the story. I mean, that the setting ought to be ramping up the drama of what's happening. How do you deal with the pressure? But like when you take over someone else's, uh, established, you know, success, so to speak, it, it didn't you feel a great deal of pressure to kind of come into it and worry about the fans <laughs> accepting you, so to speak? Because people people can be real mean these days, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, my first reaction when when uh, when my agent called and said Putnam wanted me for Born, I mean, it was like, oh, oh my God, yeah, that that's great. And I, I think my next reaction was, oh my God, uh, <laughs> because uh, yeah, it, it's definitely it's definitely intimidating, and uh, and and you know, you've got a really high standard to live up to. And, and, and so many people know Jason Bourne so well in their minds uh, that they have a particular image of, of who this character is. And what complicates it is that there have been so many iterations of Bourne over the years. It's not like you're simply trying to go back to, you know, one, you know, one character in, in one book series. Ludlum had three Jason Bourne novels. Uh, uh, Eric von Lusbader took over and did either 10 or 11 Born novels. You had all of the, uh, you know, the, the great Matt Damon movies, uh, and and I may be one of the few people who actually remember that uh, uh, before uh, Matt Damon was uh, Jason Bourne, Richard Chamberlain uh, was actually yes, Jason he was Bourne. yes in in, in, a, in a mini series with uh, Jacqueline Smith of Charlie's Angels fame as Marie St. Jacques. So uh, you you put it all together, and and 
people are coming into this series and this character with very, very different ideas of, of who that character is and, and what the character looks like and, and what you know, kind of a person he is. I think if you try to simply you know, create a melange that keeps all those people happy, I, I don't know that it really works. So you kind of have to, to make your choice. And, and my personal choice was to go back to the character that Ludlum created in The Born Identity and really try to make that character feel new and real and authentic so that when you read my Born books, um, it, it should feel like you're going back to Ludlum's original creation, and, uh, and and that's what I've been trying to do in my books. And, you know, and then I think a lot of people, um, you know, they, they, they feel that, uh, and then, uh, hey, if they want to, you know, imagine that, you know, that this character looks like, you know, Matt Damon, and they can imagine him, uh, you know, uh, going through all these scenes, well, that's, that's fine, too. I don't, uh, I don't have a problem with that. Um, although the interesting thing is, I think if you, if you watch the Matt Damon movies, you get a very different concept of, of Bourne as a character. I mean, Bourne in the movies is this sort of, uh, you know, laconic, cynical loner, and uh, it, it's more focused on the physicality of, of who he is as opposed to the, the psychological complexity. Um, and that was a dimension I wanted to bring back was, was that, that psychological depth that Ludlum brought to the original novel. Well, that's an interesting. Let me, let me go back then to your original writing, the, the series, you know, the the... Bolton series and the Stride series and the others. I mean, you had to create those characters out of whole cloth. You made those. What was your process in making all these different characters? What did you want to bring into them that you were trying to tell the reader that, hey, this person has this kind of characteristic and personality and response? And then you had to jump into Jason Bourne. What was your what's your idea of creating these characters? Yeah, that uh, you know, every character. Um, I mean, they need to be able to kind of stand on their own two feet. And, uh, and, and the only reason, you know, I, I've done several series. I've done my, my Stride series. I, I've got uh, 10 books in the Stride series. The 11th is coming out, the Zero Night, on November 1st. I've got a couple Cab Bolton novels. I've got three Frost Easton novels. And, and then, you know, probably half a dozen standalones uh, at this point as well. All of them then with very, very different heroes. My philosophy has always been there's there's no point in creating a new series unless you're going to bring a very different hero to the fore. I mean, if if uh, if Cab Bolton is going to be the same as Jonathan Stride, or or if Frost Easton is going to be the same as Cab Bolton, well then, heck, you know, let me let me just write my original series and and stay with that. For, so for me, the fun really is in uh, is in really creating very distinctive, unique characters um, for, for each book that I'm working on, uh, whether it's, you know, a, a long-lasting character that may be in a series or, or you know, a, a hero that's only going to appear in one novel uh, in a standalone. Uh, but what I'm always looking to do is is not get between that character and the reader. I mean, I, I try to write and edit in such a way that the character is is speaking directly to the reader, and I'm not kind of you know, being a, a go-between, I want I want the connection between the reader and the character to be very direct. I try to pull myself out of it. Um, and when it comes to when it comes to someone like Bourne, um, what I I needed to do was really sort of examine what the dimensions were that that make Bourne unique and why he's been such an enduring figure in in thriller literature. And and I think what I took away from it was the fact that it it's that whole question of identity that that drives uh, uh, born as as a as an attractive character I mean I think that's what people relate to because here clearly born is taking this all to a very you know dramatic extreme um, 
given the nature of, of who he is and what he does. And yet, at the same time, he's wrestling with some pretty fundamental questions about what his morality is and what his ethics are. And um, uh, I think that everybody has to deal with those same kinds of things. And so I think having having Bourne go down that journey, it, it's a journey that we're all following. And that's what I was trying to play up in, uh, in, in my take on Bourne. Well, speaking of your characters, um, how do you experience them? Uh, do you, are you one of these writers who has an inner monologue? Can you hear uh, the character in your head? Uh, you know, is, that, is that how you create dialogue, or do you have some other method? Yeah, you know, I don't really, I don't really hear the characters in my head, but I, I will say that they kind of, they kind of take over the process. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't tend to question it a lot because I always feel like if, if you, if you start to question too much where the inspiration's coming from, well, maybe you'll wake up one day and it won't be there anymore. Mm. So, uh, so for me, right. I, 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 I used to, I used to outline in a lot of detail. I used to write very exhaustive background sketches on all the characters. And, and the more books I've written, the more I have gone away from that, um, because I was finding that it didn't matter how much preparation I did before I started, the, the characters and the story would have a way of, of coming to life and taking over as, as I actually got the words on exactly. paper. Uh, and so I really wanted to let give them their freedom to run and and find that they would they would come to life uh, better if I wasn't trying to prejudge who they were. And and certainly the last thing I wanted to do was try to impose my vision of who those characters should be on the characters themselves, because whenever I would try to do that, I would feel them kind of pushing back on me, and, and ultimately I realized, well, you know, they, they kind of know themselves better than I do, and uh, uh, so the, 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 the way it works best is, is when I can kind of let them be, be guiding me as opposed to me guiding them, and, I, and, and you know, in any given chapter, it, it's, it tends to be sluggish as long as I'm, you know, sort of in charge of the process. And when it works is when, you know, I can kind of feel myself separating out from, from the characters in the action, and, and they're sort of the ones that, uh, that, that are, 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 you know, putting these thoughts together. And uh, I'm just sort of typing at that point. So I, I, I'll give you permission to use me as the next, uh, you know, instead of uh, Matt Damon, you can use me. <laughs> Don't do it, Brian. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my screen. I'm thinking, well, here, Joe's the only one that doesn't have a photograph on that screen. Mm. Well, yeah, because he's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, but how do you keep it fresh, in a sense, when it, when there's been a lot of stories written uh, yeah. with these characters and, and, and things like that? So how, how, does, how does you go into it kind of trying to keep it fresh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was talking with, with Tom Colgan at, at Putnam about that exact question. And um, my feeling is when it comes to series books is that generally speaking, series, uh, they don't die because of the plots. They die because of the characters. Um, uh, if if all you do is take sort of a static hero and drop him down into a new book with a new plot around him, I, me personally, I think readers are going to get tired of that pretty fast. Um, I think what keeps a series fresh is that the characters continue to grow and change and surprise you based on what's going on in, in the books. And so, uh, so usually um, uh, when I'm thinking about uh, a series book, whether it's Born or whether it's my, my Jonathan Stride novels or anything else, uh, my first thought is not so much about the plot. My first thought is, where is this character? What's been going on 
in their lives? What are the things they, they're, that they're dealing with that they haven't resolved? And then I start to think about how we build a story that will bring those issues out and kind of put them at the, at, at the foreground. Um, so, for example, uh, my new Stride novel, The Zero Night, coming out November 1st, um, uh, as I was thinking about how that next you know, series book was going to take shape, and here, you know, this is the 11th novel in, in the Stride series, I was thinking about Stride's wife, Serena, um, who's, who's an alcoholic and came out of a, a very abusive childhood, uh, had, a, had a terrible relationship with her mother and hadn't spoken to her mother in, in, in years. I, I was thinking about Serena and feeling that whenever her mother passed away, that was really going to throw Serena for for a loop and and probably put her in a situation where her sobriety became at risk. Um, and so uh, that was how the Zero Night began to take shape, is, is I thought this was an issue this character was going to have to deal with, and so I, I built a mystery around something that would, would bring that whole essence and thread of the character to the forefront of the story. So where do you see yourself going with this series, or do you? Do you have this kind of planned out in your mind somewhat? Do you have it kind of outlined kind of what you want to do with this character? I, I don't really, I don't like to get too far ahead of the books because, again, I think that what keeps a series fresh is when the character evolves based on what's happening to them in the stories. And so um, uh, it, it, you, you can't really get too far ahead of yourself because ultimately the, the character uh, is going to evolve with each of the novels that, that gets released. Um, I also think that particularly when it comes to an action series like Born, um, you always need to be looking for ways to, um, to kind of reboot and keep it fresh. Uh, and so um, you know, I've written I've written three Born novels now, and I'm I'm literally in the home stretch of of the fourth Born book, The Born Defiance. And in a lot of ways, The Born Defiance is kind of a a, a denouement for a, a lot of the threads that I built up in the first three books. And so I kind of see this story arc, um, you know, kind of coming to a climax in The Born Defiance. Uh, and I, I don't know yet what I, what I would plan to do in, in the fifth Born novel, but my expectation would be that I would probably plan another kind of reset and, uh, and, and kind of introduce some new characters, introduce uh, some new threads that give us a chance to once again sort of freshen up Born. Um, because again, the longer the series goes, uh, A, the harder it is for readers to keep up if, if you're expecting them to have, have read all of the preceding series books. Uh, and, and B, you want to be able to start throwing curveballs at, at the, the hero and, and give them, you know, new challenges and new directions that are going to, you know, kind of change what's going on in their lives. So I would expect that, um, I, you know, with, with something like Born, that every few books I'm, I'm going to want to kind of, you know, sort of, you know, go back to ground zero and, and, uh, and sort of, you know, rebuild the series. Well, Ludlum was, was known for his uh, tradecraft, writing tradecraft, and I'm just wondering, did you have to do a lot of research, especially to update it for a modern time? Yeah, that, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a good balancing act. Uh, I, I remember I, I read an interview with, uh, with Ludlum years and years ago, and uh, he, he was asked about research, and uh, I, I thought his reply was, was great. Uh, he said that uh, he, he does less research than his readers think and more than his family <laughs> believes. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, for me, I, I, I'm trying to strike that delicate balance. I'm, I want the, I want the tradecraft and, and the other elements of, of the book, whether it's, it's, it's settings or, or procedures or anything else going on. I want that to feel 
you know, authentic, um, but I also don't want it to slow down the story or weigh down the narrative. I mean, I think that one of the, the challenges you sometimes find with, um, with, with uh, thriller writers these days is they get a little, they, they fall in love a little bit with, with their equipment uh, and, mm-hmm. and with their research. And, and so they, they end up kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're so into this that they, they spend a lot of time on details that aren't necessarily really advancing the, the, the action of the story. Um, and, I mean, even, even great thriller writers can, can occasionally be guilty of this. I mean, I remember when, when Tom Clancy was writing uh, the, the Sum of All Fears and, and has mm-hmm. a nuclear uh, bomb go off, uh, and, and I think he spent four pages <laughs> describing the physics of the nuclear explosion <laughs> in detail. And I was like, oh, my God, Tom, it blew up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that, that's kind of that, that balance you want to strike is, is you want enough detail to, to, to sort of satisfy the, 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 the curiosity, the intrigue of the readers, and to make the whole thing feel real and authentic. But you also want to make sure that you're not – kind of falling in love with your research so much that you, uh, you you sort of slow down the pace. Brian, let me ask you a question. Let me, you have a lot of books you've written. You said you got the series here and you have the born series and you got the ones that you have on the, you know, ready to go on, on the treadmill. Why do you write? <laughs> well, you know, I, um, I, I had, a, I did a, uh, I did a, uh, um, interview a few weeks ago with a, a group of blind writers. Um, it, was, it was actually a Zoom interview, which I thought was rather curious. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they said, well, you don't need to worry about makeup or anything. I said, okay, well, that's good. Um, they, um, but they asked me a, a similar question. They said, you know, when did you begin to think of yourself as a writer? And my honest answer was, I've never thought of myself as anything else. Um, I'm just one of those people that um, writing has been my passion as far back as I can remember. I mean, I, I can remember starting my first mystery novel all the way back in, in sixth grade. And uh, I, I finished my first thriller when I was, I think, either 12 or 13. Um, so that's just always been who I am. So why do I write? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure I can tell you. It's just kind of the way I'm wired. Uh, I, I've just always seen the world through the lens of stories and characters. Um, if you read my book, Thief River Falls, uh, which is a, a standalone thriller set up uh, in, in far northwestern Minnesota, the hero of Thief River Falls uh, is a thriller writer like me by the name of Lisa Power. And uh, Lisa is uh, is trying to protect this young child who shows up outside her her farmhouse, and they're driving around the empty roads out there near Thief River Falls, and and the boy is asking her, well, what does it mean to be a thriller writer, to be, uh, and and how do you see the world, and uh, and so she pulls off the road and asks him what he sees around him, and he talks about you know seeing the the cornfields and and the dirt road and the farmhouses, and she says, well, you know, I see all of that. But I see a lot of other things as well. I, I, I see this, this body out in the field, and, and I see this police car coming down the road and kicking up dust. And, and I know who this victim is, and I know who this man is behind the wheel and what's going on in his life. And, and, and that's just the overlay with which I see the world. And, and for me, that's always been true for me as well. I mean, I can remember being seven, eight years old in, in, in Michigan where my parents had a cottage and I'd go out, you know, walking in the evenings with my dad and, you know, we'd be, we'd be going around these, these old rural areas and I'd be wondering what's going on behind the, 
you know, the door of that barn. And uh, I'd, I'd be wondering what's happening, you know, where the, the cornfield is rustling. And uh, so I've, I've never just seen what's there. I've, I've always been thinking about what's behind it. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's just what writers do. But you might just be someone that's always written, but where, where does the confidence come from, do you think? Uh, because there's a lot of people that write and at different stages and for different reasons. But wh- where do you gain the confidence to actually uh, let everybody read it, put it out there? <laughs> well, when, when, it, when, it, when it arrives, I'll let you know. Uh, yep. it, <laughs> you know, that, that's, one of the, that's one of the funny things. I, I think that being a, being a writer is just an, an inherently neurotic profession. And, uh, and, and I assume there are, there are writers out there that, that have, you know, egos that let them, you know, assume that they are masters of the universe. But boy, I, I don't meet a lot of them. Uh, they, they're all, they're all sort of, you know, a, a little bit broken in that regard, like me. And, uh, I, I, I talk to aspiring writers and I say, look, you are always going to be your own worst enemy. And, and the, the challenge that most aspiring writers face is not from, you know, readers or editors or publishers or booksellers or anybody else. It's from inside their own head and that voice that keeps telling you, well, no, I, I, I can't do this. Uh, and I said, you know, y- you, have to, you have to learn to live with that voice and, and use that voice to kind of inspire you. Because I'll tell you, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're working on your first novel or, or your 26th novel, which is what I'm doing right now. That sense of, of, of doubt and uncertainty and fear and, and that sense that, well, maybe this time around all that inspiration is going to be gone, I, I don't think that ever leaves you. Um, so, I mean, I, and, and I'm not sure that if, if I had the confidence of feeling like, well, hell, I can do this, no problem. I, I think if, if that was the attitude I brought in, I, I think the books would suffer because um, I think it's, it's partly that, that, that neurosis and that, that, that crisis of confidence that makes you work harder and, and you know, makes you invest so much of your soul in the story and the characters. I think it just makes for better books. Well, having written, uh, I believe you just said, uh, 27 books, have you found any motifs, any recurring themes uh, in your work? And if so, do you feel that this is deliberate or it's just been unconscious? Yeah, you know, I, I for my own books, and, and that's a little different from you know, what I'm doing with Bourne, but I, for my own books, I've, I've really honed in on writing thrillers that have a, a, a really emotional core. And uh, I, I try to tell stories uh, that, um, that are going to engage the reader. And, and, and if, if, you know, if I can have the reader in, in tears at the end of the book, I, I think that's great. And that may seem like sort of an odd philosophy for a, for a mystery or thriller writer, but I really want the reader so connected to the characters that, that they are in touch with their suffering, whether it's the heroes or whether it's some of the characters that, that, that do some of the, uh, the worst things uh, in the books because they understand by the end of the book what it was about their past that drew them across some dark lines. Um, so I, I look, for example, at, at my novel, uh, The Deep, Deep Snow, which uh, was an Edgar Award finalist a couple of years ago. It, it's one of my all-time favorites among anything that, that I've done. And, and one of the reasons for that is that I wrote The Deep, Deep Snow sort of as a specific challenge to myself in writing a mystery that it really is not a book that um, has anything to do with with violence or depravity or or evil. It really is populated only by good people, uh, and unfortunately, good people 
that make some terrible mistakes in the way that ordinary good people do. And, and the ripple effects of those mistakes create this, this dark tragedy. But it's, it's a book that, um, that makes you realize that uh, it, what, it, what, it, what it is really like uh, to be human and to, to have to sort of confront your mistakes and, and how those mistakes can either turn you into a better person or take you down a, a terrible road. That's interesting. You brought up another question in my head then is you mentioned you're a thriller mystery writer. Have you ever thought of leaving the genre? Do you have, you have inside you the next great American novel that uh, you want to get out there that's not a thriller mystery novel? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I love telling different kinds of stories, and uh, for me, that's that's a big part of the fun. I mean, in a lot of ways, what what I've really enjoyed about the Bourne series is, is it's so different from the kinds of, of stories that I tell under in you know under my own name. Um, uh, and you know, a few years ago, uh, I I actually wrote a very different kind of book, a couple different kinds of books that were practically you know a, a chiclet. I mean, they were really more romances. Uh, 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 there was a book called The Agency that was published under a pseudonym, uh, Allie O'Brien. That was a, a project I actually worked on with my agent in London. And, and then I wrote a follow-up novel called West 57 uh, and uh, under the name B.N. Freeman. And uh, um, very, very different kinds of books. Not, really nothing, you know, mystery or thriller about them, you know, more just sort of, you know, contemporary, uh, contemporary fiction. Um, and I loved writing those books. They were a lot of, a lot of fun to write. Uh, and uh, I can see... You know, as as I'm getting older and, and doing more books, I, I I would love to have a chance to um, to go in some different directions. I mean, I I, I can see myself uh, doing historical fiction. Uh, I could even see myself, uh, you know, finding a, a, a nonfiction project to work on. I mean, I frankly would love to you know find someone that uh, I could you know team up with on a uh, uh, an, an autobiography or memoir or something like that uh, to be able to tell somebody else's story. Um, so uh, yeah, for me, I I, I don't put any kind of limits on, on where I might choose to go. I mean, I love the mystery and thriller genre, and I'm sure I'll always be writing in that genre, but, uh, but I can certainly see myself branching off in other directions. As well. What do you tell a young writer or someone that's just starting out? And, and, and frankly, this is just for me, because, you know, I, I, <laughs> I want to be a writer like you. I want to be like bestseller and all that stuff. So what, what is it I need to do? Well, the, the, the first piece of advice I always give aspiring writers is, is pretty simple, that uh, uh, 100% of unwritten books have never been published. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it, it sounds simple, but boy, an awful lot of aspiring writers forget that, you know, because they, 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 get, they, they get caught up in, well, I, I want to do this, or maybe I want to do that, or maybe I want to do this. And, and they write 50 pages in something and, and then get discouraged with themselves and put it aside and switch to something else. And uh, I, I always tell folks, look, you know, take an idea, see it all the way through to the end. Uh, don't give up on your idea uh, and, and, and keep switching over to something else. Put, you know, put the finishing touch, get to the end of a project, and, uh, and, and you'll be amazed at the, the depth of satisfaction that goes along with that. And, and you know, it doesn't mean that, that that first book has to be fantastic or that that one is necessarily going to be the one that, that, that's your breakthrough book. I mean, I wrote five books in my life that are still sitting in my nightstand drawer. And, uh, you know, and that goes back to when I was 13 and, you know, not a whole lot of uh, publishers clamoring for books written in, uh, in big pen on binder paper. But, uh, <laughs> but hey, you know, I mean, it, 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 that experience 
taught me how to write, taught me the kinds of characters and stories that, that I wanted to tell, and it helped me kind of cut my teeth so that when, when ultimately I started in on Immoral, which was my first Jonathan Stride novel, I was, I was ready to break through. I, my, my life experience and craft experience had come to bear at a point where I'd kind of crossed the threshold that I needed to cross. And, uh, and so that, I think that's a big part of it for aspiring writers is, is, is really beginning to, um, you know, take your craft seriously and, and see it all the way through and, and, uh, and, and begin to understand how other writers do what they do and, and how you do what you want to do. Um, I think it was, I think it may have been James Mishner who said that you shouldn't even try to get published until you've written about a million words. And uh, so I figured with those five books in my nightstand, uh, I had to be getting pretty darn close. Yeah, you know, but when you, when you write those early books, when you're starting and you're writing these books and they're still in your nightstand, um, each time you complete one of those books, there's something you kind of get out of it and you become a better writer. As, yeah. I, as I see it. So yeah. now, now that you're a little older and you've, <laughs> and you've actually, I'm a written, lot older, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm trying to be nice here. Come on. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day here, you, you, uh, when you write a book today, um, what do you think you get out of it? Yeah. I, I get a lot of emotional satisfaction out of, out of the book. Um, I, I don't know who it, what, who it was that said, I don't necessarily love writing, but I love having written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would, I would have to fall into that camp. I mean, the, I, 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 I enjoy the writing process and then I enjoy the battle of, of getting the story told and, and, and having the characters unfold, but it is a battle. I mean, it is a very, very tough emotional kind of job and uh, and there are boy there are a lot of days where there's just about anything I'd rather do than than stare at that blank screen and have to sort of dig down uh, into some really dark places in order to pull out you know uh, effective thrillers and yet then I get to the end of the book and and I, I edit the novel and I can see all the words on the paper and the characters are alive on the page and um, I, that is that is just such a that that's such an irreplaceable sensation uh, that it it you really feel like you have you know delivered something under the world and uh, one one of the things I found that I I never really anticipated would would be something that I'd enjoy but I I look forward to listening to the audio versions mm. of my own books and for a lot for a lot of time I could not do that because I would hear the books in my head in a certain way and and I felt like listening to somebody else read my words just wouldn't work for me. And, uh, and then I listened to um, January Lavoie, uh, the actress who does The Deep, Deep Snow, and uh, it was such a moving experience for me uh, because uh, she, she sort of turned it into a whole new book, and it was almost as if I wasn't listening to my own words, and yet I knew they were my words. And, and I got to the end of the book, and I've got, you know, you know, listening to her tell it, and I've got tears running down my face, and and uh, I, I said to my wife, I mean that that's why I became a writer is to be able to to put these experiences in in the hands of readers. So what's the uh, day in the life of Brian? And I mean that as a as a writer or anything else you want to throw in there too, right? It's we'd always like to hear, but uh, and I mean because uh, you're saying how some days you're sitting right and and looking and and at the paper and stuff like that. So do you actually schedule like 
nine to five, Monday to Friday and sit and write, or do you have to uh, be in a certain mood or what goes on in your life? Yeah, I, uh, I, I was in the traditional workforce for so long that I, I still see writing as, well, that's, that's my job. And, you know, you, you do your job nine to five. And so, yeah, I typically, I typically work, you know, Monday through Friday and, and, you know, I, I get up in the morning and have coffee and read the paper. And then I, I, you know, shut myself in my office. Um, I do try to, to sort of switch up my routines. Uh, I don't like to, um, kind of do the same process, you know, book after book, because I think the process is part of what keeps you inspired, and, and I don't ever want it to feel stale. So uh, I, I switch up a lot of the mechanics of how I do things. Uh, I, you know, sometimes I, I, I write sitting down, sometimes I write standing up, sometimes I write in my office, sometimes I, I take my laptop out of the deck and, and work outside. So I'm, I'm always kind of shifting things around so that I, I don't get too comfortable in my surroundings, uh, I, I, I always like to have a little bit of, of that edge because I think that's what that's what keeps me focused. Is there a part of the writing and editing process that you dread? There's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a heck of a question. That I, yeah. that I, that I dread? No. Uh, you know, I, I, I certainly know that the part that I like the most is the the editing side of it because you know mm. then then I'm done you know I mean all the yeah. words are on the page and I, I get to uh, I get to you know fuss over it and and you know tweak it and uh, and polish it and get it just perfect uh, I, I love that part of it because the the really laborious emotional difficult work is is behind me at that point right. um, I think the the challenge is usually um, at the very beginning um, because when it, it's <laughs> It, it, when you're when you're designing the plot for a whole new book, particularly if it's a standalone, I mean, a series book at least you've got the characters as kind of bedrock to, to get you started. But a standalone novel where you're starting everything from scratch, um, I, I sort of think of it kind of like standing in in the in the toothpaste aisle at Target, and uh, you know, I mean, instead of having you know two or three you know varieties of toothpaste, where well, you're sitting there staring at what you know 125 different mm -hmm. types of toothpaste, and you're like, well, with that much to choose from, how on earth do I pick one? Uh, and I think that can be a little bit of how you feel about uh, plotting out a standalone, because when you can go in all of these different directions, how do you narrow in on the particular story that you want to tell and the particular characters that you want mm -hmm. to bring to life? Uh, and and it, it just it, there's so much possibility out there that it can kind of leave you a little bit paralyzed and you need to be able to sort of get past that and start to focus in on oh, this. This story feels right. Brian, I'm gonna, let me go back just a second to your discussion about Audible. I totally agree with you when you hear your words for the first time. It is something. But don't you have Scott Brick doing your uh, doing the latest born? Yeah, Scott does all yeah, of it. Yeah, so, he, he also did um, you know, Ludlum's born novels as well. Yes, yes. So, that, so there's no problem with that. You got Scott doing. In fact, when I used to start writing, I just I turned on some of his stuff and I go, Okay, Scott, talk to me. I want to hear that. I want to hear it so I can hear my book. He's he's he's, he's just that good. Yeah. So congratulations on that. But go back, the comment you just gave on the editing process, that's a tough process. And sometimes you write stuff, you go, boy, I love that. I love this scene. I love this thing. And I'm not going to cut it no matter what. And then you realize it doesn't work. What's it? What does that feel? What is your editing mindset when you have written all these words and you say, I'm going to have to lose these words to keep my story going? Yeah, yeah, you have to be you have to be pretty darn ruthless, and uh, and and that goes back to what I was saying earlier that I never want to get between the readers and the story, or between the readers 
and the character. And, uh, you know, I mean, we've got some some amazing prose stylists in the mystery and thriller genre. Uh, beautiful, beautiful writers. But, you know, sometimes I will, I will read their work, and it's kind of like I can feel them sitting next to me, sort of nudging me and poking me in the side and going, wow, that was a really good paragraph, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> And uh, I, I never want to. I never want to be in the middle like that between the the reader and the story. And and so the in the editorial process, I am analyzing everything that I've I've got, whether it's a, a paragraph or a chapter. And and I'm I'm having to ask myself, is this advancing the story? Is it advancing you know the reader's understanding of the characters? And if it's not, then then you got to lose it. Um, uh, if if it's not playing a fundamental role in in you know in in advancing the story, then it, it ends up being self-indulgent. And it may be great writing, but that, you know, the, the, the readers are looking to keep turning the pages. And if you're slowing them down or you're getting in the way, then, then you need to be able to make the hard decision to say, well, okay, it may be beautiful writing, but you know what, if it's not, if it's not accomplishing what I need to in this book, then it's got to go. It probably goes into the, maybe I'll use this in a future book file. Sure, exactly. Yeah, you, you never know. Well, and besides me, who would you like to write with? <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, hey! Yeah. How about me? Uh, you know, it, um, boy, there's 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 any number of people that it would be fun to write with. Although, um, I I tend to just think of writing as a pretty solitary profession. So, and I, I don't, I'm not sure how um, you know how good I would be to to work with as 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 a co-writer because I mean I'm I'm always right you know so <laughs> boss right so uh, yeah you know and and, uh, and and then of course I, I I finish a book and I I hand it off to my wife and and she reads it and I discover well I'm not always right so <laughs> <laughs> your version and the wife's version yeah. <laughs> so now if someone had never heard of you hard to believe um, what one book would you have them pick up to read to pick up who you are as a writer yeah uh great great question it, it it honestly would be two books that actually they're they're technically both standalones and yet they also fit together hand in glove to the point that i see them really as one book and one creative project uh, and that would be the deep deep snow and the follow-up novel to the deep deep snow which is called the ursulina uh, those two books are to me, at, at this point in my career, kind of the the pinnacle of what I'm trying to do with emotional thrillers. Uh, I just I love those two books. I, I wouldn't change a word of them, and and they've they've really um, connected with readers on on a, on a pretty deep level. I love the kinds of feedback I've gotten from readers about these books. Uh, I love listening to, to January January Lavoie do the audible versions of them. So I, I would say if, if you want to get to know who. Brian Freeman is as as a as a writer and a person. Read the deep deep snow and and then roll right on and, and read the Ursulina. So that kind of begs another question of what they should read of yours. Who do you read or who did you read to learn about your craft? Yeah, um, you know I've 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 read a lot of I've read a lot of folks over the years uh, and I've read some great great writers. Uh, I don't honestly read a whole lot in the genre myself anymore yes. mostly because you know when you when you write suspense all day long curling up with somebody else's suspense novel at the end of the day 
it kind of starts to feel like work. Uh, you know, it's it's not really entertainment <laughs> yeah, or escapism in the same way. I mean, I, I read it more like market research, like, oh, I like that. Yeah, I would have done that differently. Oh, I see where he's going with that. So uh, I, I tend to read more um, nonfiction and and history and biographies, and I'm, I'm pretty eclectic uh, about that. I mean, I'm currently I'm reading Candace Millard's book about the the search for the source of the Nile, and and before that, I was reading a, a a biography about Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. So it 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 kind of goes from the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, but I learn a lot about um, uh, about people uh, in in reading nonfiction, and I think those lessons help me in crafting my fiction as well. And then I listen to audiobooks when I'm on the, the, the treadmill. And uh, if, if I'm not listening to mine, and I actually have a, a you know, between Bourne and my new thriller, I Remember You and, and Stride coming out soon, I've, I've got a lot of my own books to listen to, which is kind of fun. But I like to sample great authors, uh, both modern and, and um, historical authors, just to get a sense of how they do what they do. And uh, I, I'm, I'm always you know, sort of listening to them, thinking about how they're, they're approaching their craft. And I've, I've, so I've had a chance to discover some, some great authors across, you know, the, the, the genres. Uh, I, um, I was listening to uh, Frederick Bachman's A Man Called Uva earlier in the year, which was, you know, just remarkable. And, and J.K. Simmons did such an extraordinary job at the narration. Um, V.E. Schwab's The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, I mean, just a, a, an extraordinary uh, sort of historical uh, uh, novel, uh, and I, I, I went back and uh, explored uh, John Le, three of John Le Carre's novels uh, to sort of get some Cold War spy uh, thrills, and uh, so that that's kind of what I do on the audiobook side. That's where I read more of my fiction uh, is to is to sort of listen to how just really great authors do what they do, not necessarily in in my genre. Well, thank you. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me how you like my book. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah, Joe. Uh, well, listen, um, do you like to interact with people on social media, fans, listeners, and all that? Where where can people find uh, find you? Yeah, absolutely. I love I love hearing from readers, whether it's when they're writing me emails or or you know posting on my page. Uh, they can find my website at bfreemanbooks.com. That's all one word: b freeman books. Dot com. Uh, and then they can, so they can shoot me emails uh, through the website. Uh, they can find me on social media. I'm out on Facebook uh, uh, at uh, B Freeman Books. I'm out on Twitter and Instagram at B Freeman Books. Uh, and uh, I, I, I love hearing from readers. It's, uh, it's, it's always a lot of fun, uh, particularly when a new book comes out. Uh, you know, when, when you've been sitting there for months kind of writing yourself out on a limb and waiting for responses, uh, it, it's great to have a new book come out and start having people write to you and post you and let you know what they think. Well, of course, we'll have that up on our website. People can find you with one click and uh, send them send them a a nice email. How was COVID for you for the writing part? <laughs> well, it actually I hate to say it actually it was uh, it 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 it, it kind of worked kind of well for the uh, the writing side of it because uh, you know you, you end up having to do so many you know bookstore events and library events that uh, they're fun to do. I mean, I love having a chance to to see readers face to face, but it also you know takes you away from from your craft for, for long stretches of time. So, and uh, I've, I've written a lot of books in the last two and a half years. I think I've written six plus novels in the last two and a half years. So it's been a very, very intense creative period. And I don't know if that would have been possible uh, if I were, you know, uh, having to you know, go out and, and, you know, do events. Um, at, the, at the same time, I think this year, I'm, I'm, I'm only on track to do probably two novels this year. So I, I feel like I'm slacking off a bit, but uh, I've been able to get out and, and, and see people again. And uh, it, it is, it is awfully nice 
to be uh, to be doing face-to-face -face events again and, and hearing from readers and, and sort of feeding off the energy uh, of crowds because uh, it's just not the same when when you're when you're talking with people uh, via Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there any one book you would go back and change, or you wished you could go back and change? Well, you know, I being a fanatical editor, I, I think pretty much any book that that I've written, if if you handed me the the print edition, I'd I'd pick it up and start reading and and take a red pen and and start tweaking it. Uh, I'm not sure you're ever really done with a book. You just really kind of reach a point where you have to stop. Uh, and uh, so, uh, but that's fine uh, because. Uh, uh, you know, you, you, you reach a point where you have to sort of cut it off and say, you know, it's ready. It's ready to go to the readers and, and the extra effort you're going to put in uh, is, is not really going to improve the quality of the book. You're just sort of, you know, rearranging the deck chairs at that point. Wow. Well, it's been a real pleasure um, speaking to Mr. Bourne, um, Mr. Brian Freeman. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.